Tonight's lesson is going to be titled, What is Grace and Mercy? What is Grace and Mercy? So you hear those terms a lot, but what we're going to do is we're going to look into the scriptures and we're going to see what does the Bible define as grace and mercy? Is it something that gives us a free pardon to sin? Majinoito, right? God forbid. Or is it something that comes with a caveat attached? Does God give his mercy and grace to just every single person? Or is there, or is there an exception? That's what we're going to find tonight and over the next um, day as we study. We're going to find out what grace and mercy is. So um, the first thing I want to look at, and this is maybe a big no-no here, but I want to look at the word grace according to dictionary.com. And I found two definitions that I thought sound pretty good. So if you look at dictionary.com, the third definition of the word grace is favor or goodwill. The fourth definition is a manifestation of favor, especially by a superior. So that kind of sounds like when God bestows his favor and goodwill upon us, we would consider him the superior. So that's grace according to dictionary.com. Now, does it hold water according to the Bible? We'll find out. So what is mercy according to dictionary.com? Well, the first definition of mercy is compassionate or kindly forbearance shown toward an offender, an enemy, or other person, or another person in one's power. Compassion, pity, benevolence. So in other words, not showing somebody what they deserve. That's mercy. But instead, showing them kindness. The third definition is the discretionary power of a judge to pardon someone or to mitigate punishment, especially to send to prison rather than invoke the death penalty. Does that kind of sound a little bit like mercy? What are the wages of sin? Yeah. The wages of sin are death. So we're all deserving of death, but somebody died for us. Somebody took those sins upon him that we wouldn't have to face that death penalty if what? If we repent. If we turn from those sins and don't walk in them any longer. So, do these definitions of grace and mercy that I looked at from a dictionary, do they hold water? Do these sound like the biblical definitions of grace and mercy? That's what we're going to find out through this study. So, the first part of the study that I want to look at, I would title, Grace and Mercy are Part of the Lord's Character. So, the next few verses that we're going to look at are how grace and mercy are part of the Lord's character. And when I say the Lord, I'm talking about, of course, the Tetragrammaton, the yod heh vav -Heh, Yeshua, our Messiah, the Lord. So, Grace and mercy are part of his character. So I want to start tonight in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, in the, King, in the New King James Version, it says, But without faith, it is what? It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, 
and that he is a rewarder of those who casually look for him. Diligently seek him. Now, I found something interesting when I looked at a literal translation. And this was something that really just, I thought was a really awesome thing. There are several versions of the scripture that are literal translations. And how many of you know we need more of those? <laughs> we need literal translations of the scripture. Well, I found a literal translation of this particular scripture. And I want you to listen to how this sounds. Hebrews 11.6, it says, And apart from faith, it is impossible to please him. For it is required of him who is coming to God to believe that he exists and that he becomes a rewarder to those seeking him. Now, two words that I want to point out in verse 6. Find the word comes, who comes to God, underline it, and diligently seek. Underline those two words. Those are present participles. A present participle is something that's happening now and is continually happening. So someone who is coming to God, it's not just a one-time thing. It is a continual action. Because how many times do we need to be seeking God on a daily basis? Is it just a one-time thing or is it a continual action? It's a continual action of seeking God. And how many times do we diligently seek God? Is it one time, oh, I sought Him in the past, or is it a continual action? So when we're coming to God by faith, what are we doing? We are diligently seeking God. We are looking for Him. We're craving Him. That's what the word, if you look at it in the Greek, the word literally means to search carefully or to crave. It's your desire. So when you diligently seek him, what does he do? It says he becomes a rewarder to those who diligently seek him or to those who seek him. So when you're coming to him and you believe that he exists, that's faith. And when you, when you show that faith, what does he do? He becomes a rewarder to those who seek him. Now, if we believe God is, how many of you believe God is? He exists. Okay. And how many of you believe he becomes a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Then if we, if we believe that that encompasses God right there, we believe he is and we believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently and continue to seek him, then we must know his character. We have to know about him. What does he expect? Does he expect somebody to come to him casually or does he expect somebody to come to him in humility? That's what we have to know about the character of God. So from here we have to go to Exodus chapter 3. And what we're going to find is that God or the Lord, the Tetragrammaton, the yod heh vav is to you how you are to him. That's part of his character. So that's why we have to start in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Exodus 3, 14 says, And God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. In Hebrew, the phrase is ayer, it says, ayer, asher, ayer. I will be whom I will be. So what does that mean? That means God is to you how you are to him. So when he says, I will be who I will be, that's God's way of saying, I'll be to you how you are to me. So what if you believe God doesn't exist? Is he going to bless you and reward you? Absolutely not. It said in Hebrews eleven six that he's a rewarder of those who what? Sought him one time or diligently seek him. Those who continually by faith seek him. So he will be to us as we are to him. And he said, continuing in verse 14, it says, And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I will be a yet has sent me to you. So God sent Moses with a, with a stern message to the people. I will be sent me to you. So how are you going to be back to him? Let's go to Exodus 33. Continuing to look at the character of the Lord. Exodus 33. We're going to look at verse 19. Now, one thing that I want to point out, when we're going through these scriptures, we're going to see words that are translated into English as grace, gracious, mercy, loving kindness, and I'm going to point out these words as we come to them, the ones that really just kind of that stand out as part of um, how these are part of his character. So as we come across one of these words, I will, I will let you know what that word is in Hebrew because a lot of times it looks like it would be the same word, but it's a different word. All right, Exodus 33, 19. So to put it in context, Moses has asked the Lord, let me see your glory. And basically the Lord had to tell him you couldn't, you couldn't handle it. You couldn't take it. So verse 19 says, And he, the Lord, said, I will make my, all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So when he says, I'll proclaim the name of the Lord, that means I'm going to tell who I am. I'm going to tell my character. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Doesn't that sound like chapter 3 where he said, I will be who I will be. I will have grace on who I, I'll be gracious to who I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The word gracious there in verse 19 is the Hebrew word chanan, C-H-A-N-A-N, chanan. And it's Hebrew word 2603, chanan. So you're going to hear the word chanan several times throughout this scripture or throughout this teaching, and I'll just tell you it's the word chanan, C-H-A-N-A-N. And then the word compassion is racham. That's from... Um, Wayne pointed that out from a previous teaching. R-A-C-H-A-M. Racham. But the Lord says, I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll have compassion 
on whom I will have compassion. Now let's continue on in chapter 34, starting in verse 5. And this is just a continuation of the Lord proclaiming His name, proclaiming His character. So does that... Five. Uh Uh-huh. So when it says the Lord proclaims His name, does that mean that He's just standing on a mountain saying, My name is the Lord. My name is the Lord. But remember the word name or name in Hebrew when you... When they're proclaiming a name means that you're proclaiming the character. So look at verse 5. It says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So when the Lord proclaims His character, and He's listing off all of these things that, that characterize who He is. Did He say, I'm mean, I'm vengeful, I'm wrathful. What were the first things that he mentioned? He said, I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm long-suffering. I'm abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, thousands of generations. Forgiving iniquity and transgression. But, does that mean that he just lets everybody off the hook? By no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. And earlier in the book of Exodus, it says, to those who hate me. But if you look back at verse 6, where it says that he is gracious. Do you see there in verse 6 where it says he's gracious? That's not the same word in verse 19 of chapter 33. That's the word hanun. It's related term, hanun. C-H-A-N-N-U-N and it's Hebrew word 2587. And then in verse um, 7, the word mercy. You probably heard this word before. Chesed. Chesed. C-H-E-S-E-D. Chesed. That's Hebrew word 2617. So whenever these terms appear, look at how they're used. And I want you to see what's attached to them. Is it just a free blanket of graciousness, a free blanket of mercy? Well, if you look at verse 7, he gives a stipulation. He says, I keep mercy for thousands of generations. But is it for everyone? Is it for just anybody? Everybody. He says, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What does the Lord expect us to do? He expects us to repent. He expects us to come to Him. Because He says, I by no means clear the guilty. So if you're guilty and you don't repent, if you live a lifestyle characterized by sin, that's called iniquity. 
If you live that type of lifestyle, what should you expect come judgment day from the Lord? Do you expect to hear, enter in my good and faithful servant, or do you expect to hear, depart from me, I never knew you? That's the Lord saying, I will be who I will be. If you choose not to repent, if you choose not to receive the mercy he extends, then that one, then the Lord says, I'll be to you as you are to me. Psalm 86, verse 15. Still looking at how grace and mercy are part of the Lord's character. They're part of who he is. Psalm 86, 15. It says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Look at all those words that characterize who the Lord is. Does this, again, does it say wrathful? Because in the minds of most people, all that Old Testament God, he's that mean old God. Aren't you glad we have this nice new Jesus? This is David. What is David saying about the Lord? He says, Lord, you're full of compassion. You're full of mercy. Gracious. You're long-suffering. So those are the words that are describing the Lord, the Lord's character. The, ver the word gracious there is the word chanun, C-H-A-N-N-U-N. And the word mercy is chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. So look at that. Look what the Lord is full of. He's full of compassion. He's gracious. He's long-suffering, full of mercy, full of truth. Psalm 145. One forty five, verse eight. We're going to read verses eight and nine. It says the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Again, this ties back to Exodus 34. The word gracious is chanun, there in verse 8. And the word mercy is chesed. Proverbs 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Get your pen ready to kind of make some notes in your scriptures, though. Because there's some things in the scriptures or in the English translation that you don't catch unless you look at the underlying language. Say that again, please, Proverbs 3. <clears throat> Proverbs 3, 
verses 1 through 6. All right, starting in verse 1, it says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. So there's a blessing that comes with keeping the commandments. Verse 3 says, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. The word mercy there is chesed. It says, Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So in other words, we're to have mercy close to us, but also what are we to have close to us? It said, let not mercy and what? Truth. According to Psalm 119, verse 142, what is truth? That is law, it's Torah, it's instruction, the instructions of God. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse 4, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Do you see the phrase, so find favor? That's a command. Find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. So is it a suggestion that we should find favor in the sight of God? No. Find favor. Do what you need to do to find favor in the sight of God. If you have to repent, if you have to start keeping his commandments, do what you have to do to find favor in the eyes of God and in the sight of God and man. Does that mean if we're finding favor in the sight of man, does that mean we conform to the world? Absolutely not. How many of you want to conform to the world the way it is right now? <laughs> Absolutely not. Verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Literally says, trust unto the Lord with all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do you see the word acknowledge? That's also a command. It's a command of the word yada, which means no. So Solomon is telling them here, in all your ways, know Him. Not a suggestion. Know Him, and He shall direct your paths. What if you don't want to know Him? Then He's not going to direct your paths. You know, so, yes? So you're saying acknowledge means to know? Yes. It's the command form of the word yada, which means know. So acknowledge sounds very casual, doesn't it? It sounds like, yeah, just have a mental assent of God. But if you look at it as a command, it's a command of the word no. It means you better know him. Because if you don't, then what? So in all your ways, know him and he shall direct your path. Know his paths. If you look back at verse 3, it says, Let not mercy and truth forsake, forsake you. So if you want to know what's expected of you, you've got to 
study his scriptures. You have to know what it is that he expects. Absolutely. So that's why you have to have truth bound around your neck. Otherwise, it's kind of hard to know who he is. So that's why we're going through these scriptures here to know who is God. What is it that he expects? So we're looking at how grace and mercy are part of his character. So if we want to know who the Lord is, we have to know his character. And we know that grace and mercy are part of his character. And notice he always lists those things first. I'm gracious. I'm long-suffering. I'm kind, compassionate. He lists all those things first. But then what's the underlying but? If you don't repent then there's the other side. Jonah chapter 4. Right after the book of Obadiah. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. So right now, all we're doing is just kind of laying a foundation of how grace and mercy are part of who God is. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. So he, talking about Jonah, prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a, what's the first word? Gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So why did Jonah flee the opposite way of Nineveh in the first place? Because he knew that when those people repent, what's God going to do? Is God going to say, no, he's going to forgive them. That's who the Lord is. That's, and Jonah knew that. So that's why Jonah decided to run in the opposite direction. And God had other plans. And the word gracious there is, again, the word hanun. And the word loving kindness. It says abundant and loving kindness is the word hesed. So sometimes the word chesed is translated as mercy and other times it's translated as the word loving kindness. All right, let's go to John chapter 1. Yes. No, the word merciful is not chesed. The word loving kindness is chesed. Rachum, yeah. Yeah, thank you. The word merciful is Rachum, R A C H U M. Can you spell that one for loving kindness? C H E S E D. You're welcome. Looks like it says she said but it's chesed. All right, go to John chapter 1. We'll look at the New Testament. You know where grace and mercy are. 
Did you notice it said write them on your heart? Yeah. Yeah. So we spent all this time in the Old Testament. What do you notice about grace and mercy? Was grace and mercy something that just started right before the book of Matthew? No. It's always been. John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse, verse 14. We'll read verses 14 through 17. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt literally means tabernacled. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him, talking about the Word, and cried out, saying, This was He, he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah. Doesn't that make it sound like what I just said? Like grace and mercy started when Jesus came on the scene. But that's not what it means. What did we just read John say back in verse 15? He said, he was preferred before me because he was what? Before me. So what does that mean when it says grace and mercy or grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah? Grace and truth have always what? Been. Because who created the heavens and the earth? Messiah. Yeshua did. John 1 1. All you got to do is just go back and read the top of the page. Exactly. And verse 16, when it says grace for grace, it literally says grace instead of grace. So it's like God is just giving us grace after grace after grace after grace after grace. So it says grace and grace? Instead of grace. Or in, like, that's literally what it says. Grace instead of grace. So in other words, it's saying like, we're getting more grace than we kind of deserve. And that word grace, you're going to hear this word a lot, is the Greek word charis. Charis. I do better with Hebrew than Greek. C-H-A-R-I-S. Looks like charis. You ever heard the word charismatic, charismata? They're all kind of the same interrelated terms. So charis is the word grace. And it's Greek word 5485. So grace and mercy are part of the Lord's character. That's just who he is. That's part of who he is. He wants to show us grace. He wants to show us mercy. I want to add one more scripture before we move on. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter 3 verse 9. And we're going to see the whole I am, I will be who I will be playing out right here. 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is what? Long-suffering toward us. 
not willing that any should perish, but that who should come to repentance? All. So why does it kind of seem like the Lord just kind of lets things drag out in our eyes? It's not dragging out in the eyes of the Lord. But in our eyes, why does it seem kind of like things just kind of drag out? Like, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? Is it because the Lord is just wanting people to suffer? Is he wanting that? No. What is he wanting people to do? He's wanting people to repent. It says, not willing that any should perish. When it says perish, does that mean they just die? That's talking about lake of fire. That's talking about the ultimate death. The second death mentioned in Revelation 20. It says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What's the next word in, chapter, in verse 10? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So in other words, the Lord is gracious. The Lord wants all to come to repentance. But is there a point where that graciousness and that long-suffering kind of hits a brick wall? Does it stop? Is there a point where God says, enough is enough? And he says, I have to pour out my, my wrath and my judgment. That's the day of the Lord. So the Lord gives all these, extends all of these calls to repentance. Think about the nation of Israel back during the time of the kings. The Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. What was the message every time? Was it... Was it um, just hang tight, y'all. The, the law will be abolished in a little while. Or was it repent? You better get yourself right. Repent, repent, repent. And then finally, when the people turned their ears, turned deaf ears to it long enough, what happened? What had to come? Judgment. Otherwise, the Lord would have been found a what? A liar. Because the Lord couldn't let that go on any longer. All right. So this segues into the second part of the teaching. So now that we see that grace and mercy are part of the Lord's character, who receives the Lord's grace and mercy? Is it conditional? Does he pour it out on everybody or is it conditional? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to read about Noah for a little bit. Genesis chapter 6. Verse 8. Genesis chapter 6. You know Genesis chapter 6 because that's when the Lord is about to send the flood and just wreck the place. Start back at verse 7. Genesis 6, 7. It says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But what's the next word? But. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That word grace is the Hebrew word chen. C-H-E-N. Chen. C-H-E-N. And that's Hebrew word 2580. 
2580. So you'll notice it looks a whole lot like the word Hanun, and it looks a whole lot like the word Hanan. They're all related terms. So when you see all those words, you know they have something to do with favor. They have something to do with grace. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I want you to look at the very next verse and let's see why. Was it just because the Lord looked down and said, uh, you, you have grace? Or was there a reason why? Look at verse 9. It says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. It means he was righteous. He was perfect, tamim. He was blameless in his generations. And it says, Noah walked with God. That word walked, you've probably heard it mentioned before. When you think back to Enoch, when it says Enoch walked with God, that word walked in Hebrew is a form called the hit pa'el. H-I-T-H-P-A-E-L. Hit pa'el. That means... You make yourself do it. So when it says Enoch walked with God, Enoch chose to walk with God. The Lord didn't make him walk with him. He chose to walk with God. And it says God took him. The same verb form is used here. When it says Noah walked with God, that's the heat pael form. So when it says Noah walked with God, Noah chose to walk with God. God didn't make him. God didn't twist his wrist. He chose to walk with God. And therefore, what did he find in the eyes of God? He found grace. He found grace. So it wasn't just because God threw a dart and found somebody, hey, I guess I'll put call him gracious. He showed his graciousness, he showed that he followed God by walking after God. He walked with God. He chose to walk with God. So was God the Lord's grace conditional here? Did he pour out his grace and mercy on everybody? No. Almost no one. He poured he put his grace and mercy on the ones who were doing what? walking before him uprightly. Genesis 39. Genesis 39. Read about Joseph. We're going to read verses 20 through 23. It says, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. That's the word chesed. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Do you see the word favor? That's the same word in Genesis 6 that was translated as grace. Chain. C-H-E-N. So the word grace is also translated as the word 
favor. It says, but the Lord gave him, talking about Joseph, favor or grace in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 22 says, And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So do you notice it's talking about the Lord gave Joseph favor. The Lord was with him and made his way prosper. And here he is in prison. But what does that mean? When it says, did God just give him favor for no reason? Or was there a reason why the keeper of the prison trusted Joseph? The Lord was with him. Do you think Joseph was trustworthy? Do you think that he was truthful, living according to the commandments of God? So it's the same reason why the Lord was with him is the reason that the keeper of the prison could trust him. I mean, how many of you, how many of you would trust your one prisoner to look over all the others? <laughs> Absolutely not. But what did it say here about Joseph? It said the Lord was what? With him and showed him favor. What if Joseph would have been as Potiphar's wife had accused him? <laughs> then he would have been justly in prison, right? And the story of Joseph would have ended right there. Exodus 20. Exodus 20. Verse 6. I want to start back at verse 5. It says, You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing mercy to thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. That word mercy is chesed. Is that conditional? Yes. He shows mercy to thousands of generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. Love and keep, those are participles. Continuing actions. Those who are loving him and keeping his commandments. Those are the ones who God shows mercy to. Showing mercy to thousands of generations. The, um, the hating is conditional too. Yeah. Yeah. So when it says that visiting the iniquity 
to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So if you've got generation after generation of generation, this is not generational cursing, but if you've got generation after generation after generation of people who hate the Lord, then it says that he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children of those who hate him. What if that, what if that fourth generation or that fifth generation repents and turns to the Lord? Yeah, then there is, then the visiting of the iniquity stops. All right, Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. All right, verse, we're going to read verses 9 through 12. Get your pen ready. There's some stuff you need to add. Or just some notes you need to kind of put in the margin of your Bible. Verse 9 of Deuteronomy 7 says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. All right, at the very beginning where it says, therefore, no, it actually says, therefore, you will know. <laughs> Doesn't that kind of sound like a threat? Yeah, you will know. Therefore, you will know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God. That word faithful in Hebrew is a form called nephal. So it literally says the being faithful God or the God who is being faithful. Who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations of those who love and keep his commandments. Love and keep are participles. Those who are loving him and keeping his commandments he keeps covenant and mercy with those generations. And that word mercy is chesed. So what are you noticing? How many times have we seen, just in these few verses that we've looked at, how many times have you seen God expects you to keep doing? To keep on keeping on. Keep loving Him. Keep keeping His commandments. It's not a one-time thing. Verse 10, and he repays those who hate him. That's also a participle. Those who are hating him. He repays those who are hating him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who is hating him. He will repay him to his face. Does that sound like a threat? <laughs> Very much so. Not even veiled. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments, which I command you today to observe them. Strongly commanding. So you can almost see Moses beating on the table. Verse 12 says, Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep you, keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. 
So you notice the condition. Because you listen to the judgments, keep them and do them, the Lord will keep covenant with you and mercy which he swore to your fathers. Is that conditional? Absolutely. Take note of the word because. That word because in Hebrew is the word ekev. E-Q-E-V. Ekev. Hebrew word 61.18. That word literally means something that happens as compensation or as a consequence. So in this case, the Lord says, if you do what I say, I reward you with compensation. What kind of compensation was he promising them? When you come into this land that flows with milk and honey, the land will produce bountifully. You'll always have a crop. You'll always have harvest. But what happens if you don't? There's the flip side of the coin. There's the consequence. So that word because kind of carries two connotations. So it can be, it shall come to pass, I'll reward you with, and compensate you if you keep my commandments. Or, if you don't, then there's a consequence. Can you see why they just translated it as because? <laughs> there's just so, uh, there's so much in just one word that they're like, <sighs> we'll just call it because. But it literally has to do with compensation. If you're obedient, then the Lord compensates you for your wages. But what if you choose not to follow? The wages of sin are what? It's death. And then in verse 12, it says, Then it shall come to pass because you listen. It literally says you will listen to these judgments and keep you will and will keep and will do. <laughs> so is there going to come a time ultimately in the future when the people of God will be obedient to him and will do these things? And when they do these things, will God bless them? Absolutely. That deals with that compensation talked about in verse 12. But there again, that compensation carries is a dual-sided meaning. If you are obedient, your compensation is reward, is a reward. But what if you're disobedient? Then it's not compensation, it's a consequence. Right? All right, go to first Yes. Would that would that uh, relate to Deuteronomy twenty eight, the blessings and the purpose? Absolutely. Absolutely, because he's going to go on in Deuteronomy 28 to talk about, all right, here's the, here's the compensation, and here's the consequence. Which do you want? And then in chapter 30, he says, choose this day. He says, you know, I'd choose life. <laughs> you know, I set before you life and death, choose life. And I can't believe people still chose death. Yeah, he told them the answer. He told them what they were going to do. 
And the people said, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll, and then the generation after Joshua, what happened? They fell off the train. <laughs> they didn't just fall off the train. They derailed the train. 1 Kings 8. We're going to spend a little bit of time in 1 Kings chapter 8 because there's a lot in here. This is the dedicatory prayer by Solomon at the temple. So there's a lot in here that you're going to hear about grace and mercy. But you might not know it's talking about grace because of how the words are translated. All right, we're going to start in verse 23, 823. And he said, talking about Solomon, Lord God of Israel, the Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant, literally a, you're a, a guardian of the covenant and mercy with your servants who... Who what? What's the next word say? Walk before you with some of their hearts. With all of their hearts. Doesn't that read almost like Hebrews eleven six? Those who diligently seek Him. The word walk is a participle. So is it a one-time walk? Or is it a continual walk? So here's Solomon praying, and the first thing he says is, Lord, you keep your covenant. You're a guardian of your covenant, and you're a guardian of mercy, chesed, with those who are continually walking before you with all their hearts. Now, this is Solomon. What do we know about Solomon? <laughs> uh, yeah, he was wise. So wise, he married 700 women and 300 concubines. And what did those women do? Did they lead him to God or away from God? So was there a time when Solomon was possibly not walking with the Lord? Because at the end of his life, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. So those who walk before you with all of their hearts, a continual action. Skip down to verse 33. It says, when your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, literally says they will sin against you. So Solomon knows he says, they will sin. And when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. Notice Solomon does not say, overlook their sin, Lord. Forgive them anyway. 
What is he saying? Lord, when they what? When they repent, then forgive them. Would that be God's character to forgive them anyway? No. What is it that God is expecting the people to do? And Solomon's telling the people, if you sin, you have to repent, otherwise God will not hear your prayer. And, God, and Solomon is praying this. He's, Lord, don't hear their prayer until they repent. In verse 33, do you see the word supplication? That is the word chanan, C-H-A-N-A-N. The same word translated as gracious. Back in Exodus 33, 19. So a supplication is a prayer for grace. It's a plea for grace. Lord, show me mercy. Show me grace. So in other words, is it just a, is a supplication, is it just a, Lord, I'm sorry. Or is it a, or do you, do you visualize the man that's mentioned in Luke 18 with the, you know, the, the Pharisee praying thus with himself and the man who won't even look up to heaven and beats his chest and say, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Which do you think is a prayer of supplication? That. That's a prayer of supplication. Lord, forgive me a sinner. That is a prayer of supplication. Verse 46. And here's another, here's another verse that will knock us all down a notch. Verse 46. When they all, and when they sin against you, and notice the parenthetical here, for there is no one who does not sin. Do you see the, the word one is literally the word Adam, Adam, man. For there is no man who does not sin. So who sins? All men. There is no one who does not sin. So when they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy far near, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they are carried captive and repent and make supplication, there's that prayer of grace to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, We have sinned and done wrong and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive to pray to you toward the land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen in the temple which I have built in your name, then what? Here in heaven. So is Solomon saying... Lord, forgive them anyway. They're just, they're a pack of sinners. Just forgive them anyway. What's the, what is Solomon saying? Lord, don't hear their prayer until they what? Until they repent. Yes. There is no one. One is man. One is man. Yeah, it's the word Adam. I don't know why they chose to translate it as one. 
But doesn't that just kind of open up the whole, it's all inclusive, everybody. Now, some people might say, well, that only applies to men. Well, we all descend from who? Adam. <laughs> so we're all, we're all there. So ver verse 47, that was a very long-winded way of Solomon saying, if you want to be the Lord to forgive you, you have to repent. And it's not just a half-hearted prayer of repentance. That's what a supplication is. It's a prayer for grace. Lord, be gracious on me, a sinner. Verse 47, when it says, at the very beginning of verse 47, it says, when they come to themselves, it literally says, when they cause themselves to return to themselves. So in other words, when you cause yourself to to snap out of it, pretty much. It literally says, cause themselves to return to themselves. Think of the prodigal son. When did he come to himself? When, was it when he was riding high and living it up? When he was living with the pigs. And it says he came to himself and said, the servants in my father's house eat better than I am. When they get their right mind back. Yeah, when people get their right mind back. That's, that's it. So it says when they come to themselves, literally when they snap out of it. Have you ever seen that movie Moonstruck? Where Cher slaps Nicholas Cage. Snap out of it. That's literally what it is here. When, these, when they snap out of it and they repent. Go to verse 56. Get your pen ready on this one. This one is pretty eye-opening right here. <clears throat> verse 56. Alright, this is still part of the prayer. Still part of the prayer. Let me get a sip of water. Verse 56 says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Do you see the word promised? It's the word debare, spoke. Spoke. Debare. Spoke. That should sound familiar because in, as we're studying through the book of Deuteronomy, what word is Moses or what's being used for when Moses is talking to the people of Israel? Is it said, like is he just casually saying it? Or is it spoke? Strong emotion. So it says, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he spoke. So yes, he promised it, but he what? He spoke it. Who did he speak it through? Keep reading. It says, there has not failed 
one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. Let's go back. There has not one word failed, one word, underline the word word, of all his good promise. The word promise is the same word as word, devar. There has not failed one word of all his good word. Which he promised, it spoke, spoke through his servant Moses. So when anybody tries to say that Moses, that it's the law of Moses, what does this say right here? It says that the word came through Moses from who? From the Lord. It says, which he spoke through his servant Moses. Why is that important? Why is it so important for me to kind of drive this point home that he spoke these words through Moses? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is something that's really been just weighing on, just kind of standing out to me here lately. Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. So in First Kings chapter eight, it says that he spoke the words to Moses. So why is that important? Second Timothy three sixteen. It says all scripture should say every scripture, every scripture is given by inspiration of God. That phrase, inspiration of God, is theonutas. God breathed. So if it came out of the mouth of God, what is it called? It's Scripture. It's Scripture. So every Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or God breathed. It came out of his mouth and is profitable. So here's what scripture's good for. Doctrine, that's teaching. Reproof, correction. You did something wrong, here's what you should do instead. And instruction in righteousness. So if you want to, know, want to, if you want to know how to walk in a way that's pleasing to God, that's what Scripture is for. So what are we reading about through here? God is showing that grace and mercy are ingrained in His character. But what do we have to do in order to obtain that grace and mercy? If we're walking in a lifestyle characterized by sin, can we expect God to pour out His grace and mercy on us? How would Paul say it? Majanoito. Absolutely not. And we can't even be complete. We're, we're not complete without Right. So if, we're, it, so if we try to say, you know, Scripture, that this Scripture is abolished, 
She said, we're not complete without scripture. If we say that this scripture is abolished or this scripture over here doesn't apply or this scripture is only for this, then what can we make from a scripture like this that says every scripture is given by inspiration of God? Every scripture is God-breathed. If it came out of the mouth of God, it's scripture. So how dangerous ground are we on when we say this scripture is done away with? What are we calling God? And that, and that is, yeah, the scripture is very clear that God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Numbers 23, 19. So what was my point in coming here? The words that Moses received, it said, were spoken to him by God. Therefore, what are they called? According to 2 Timothy. They're called scripture. So speaking is God, God breathed it. God breathed it, God spoke it, is God going to take it back? No. He's not going to take it back. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 30. 2 Chronicles chapter 30. This is during the time of Hezekiah. Was Hezekiah a godly king or was he a wicked king? He was a godly king, right. Second Chronicles 30. Uh-huh. Second Chronicles 30. So we're looking at verse 9. If you look at verse... One for context. Well, it take more than one verse to set the context. So Hezekiah is going to start. They're going to keep the Passover. So they're inviting all people from even the northern kingdom to come and celebrate the Passover. Look at verse nine. That's the key verse. It says, for if you return to the Lord. What's it mean to return to the Lord? We just saw what it means to return. To repent. For if you return to the Lord. Literally it says, for when you return to the Lord. Your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion. By those who lead them captive. So that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you. What's the next word? If. You return to him. And then if you go on to read, it says most of the people that received the message just laughed at him. So did, they, so did everybody take it seriously? No, but there were many who did come. So the word gracious, there in verse 9, says, your God is gracious. That word is chanun. Is it conditional? Was this conditional? Absolutely. He said, the Lord will not turn his face from you if you return to him.
Psalm 25. Psalm 25. We're going to read verses 7 through 11. It says, starting at verse 7, it says, Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. Transgressions is the word pesha. It's literally my, my rebellions. Lord, don't remember my rebellions. How many of you want the Lord to remember the rebellions of your youth? <laughs> no. According to your mercy, remember me. Chesed. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. So what's David saying here? He's saying, Lord, you're merciful. You're, you're gracious. Don't remember my sins. Don't remember my rebellions. I said some dumb things. I did a lot of dumb things. Please don't remember them. Forgive me. Verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He teaches sinners in the way. The humble He guides in justice, and the humble He teaches His way. The who? The humble He teaches His way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, period. Ah, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. What kind of word do you suppose keep is right there? Keeping. It's a participle. It's a participle. So verse 10, the word keep is a participle. It's continuous action. So it could say, to such as that are keeping his commandment, his covenant, and his mercy. I don't have it written down. I just have it as keeping. But more than likely, I would say yes, is guard. But the purpose of this was to show that it's not just a one-time keep. So it's a continual keeping. Verse 11, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Yeah, this is a psalm. Old Testament. Yeah. Right. And it's Old Testament. Yeah. 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 Like the your name usually means character. Yeah, for, because for of your character. Yeah, for your character's sake, O Lord. Because what is part of the Lord's character? He's merciful. He pardons iniquity. You remember, He proclaimed that to Moses, forgiving iniquity by no means clearing the guilty. He's just rehashing it over and over. Lord, this is. So why do you think David was a man after God's own heart? Because he knew the heart of the Lord. Does that mean David was sinless and perfect? No. By no means was he sinless and perfect. But when he did sin, what did he do? He was quick to put on the sackcloth and ashes. Verse 6. 
Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from old. Yep. This is the old covenant, and they're saying they're from old. Yeah. So what does that mean about the Lord? I mean, what does that mean about Him? He he doesn't change. Praise the Lord, He doesn't change. I'm, I'm thankful He doesn't change. Because what if He does change? That means on a whim, He could just change His mind about something. There's no security in that. There's no, like, there's no comfort in knowing that we would serve a God who changes. All right, Psalm 27. So just flip the page. Psalm 27, verses 7 through 9. It says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me. Um, have mercy also upon me and answer me. The word mercy is chanan. It's not chesed right there. It's chanan. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Well, David had a lot of prayers of repentance, didn't he? <laughs> Lots of prayers. But there again, what made David a man after God's own heart? This is the reason right here. When he messed up, he asked forgiveness. Because what did he know about the Lord? If I turn my face and I seek the Lord, what's the Lord gracious to do? To forgive. What if David would have continued walking in sin and said, eh? What his son Solomon wrote about, um, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers an abomination. You think he might have heard that from old dad? <laughs> might have heard, heard that. And it just shows you how hard it can be to keep on that path of righteousness. Right. Even though he had a heart for God, it's, you know, that shows how hard it is to, you know, how hard the walk is to walk uprightly. I mean, because what do we have every day that we have to deal with? Flesh. We have the flesh. You know, and... I mean, you just admit it. I mean, like your flesh. What did, what did the Lord tell His disciples when they were praying at the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You want to do this, but you're letting your flesh get the best of you. Yep, exactly. In Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, I find that I don't do and vice versa, right? All right, there was something else I wanted to say here, but it must not have stuck with me. Oh, yes, actually, yes. All right, in verse 8 where it says, Seek my face. Where else have you heard that? Where else have you heard that phrase, Seek my face? If my people who are called by my name will seek my face, then I will what? You're here in heaven. Yes, exactly. So when it says to seek my face, does that mean 
we just come to the Lord casually? Or is again that part of seeking God with that prayer for grace, that prayer, that supplication, that prayer for mercy? So humble, yes. So seeking the face of God. You know, I've I've heard it said, and I know I've taught this before. Solomon was praying for the people to seek God's face, not his hand. Yes, exactly. All right. Psalm 32. Seek his face, not just what he can give you. Psalm 32.10. Psalm 32.10. It says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. That word mercy is chesed. So mercy surrounds those who trust in the Lord. But what about if you're wicked? Does it say, eh, you get the mercy poured out on you too? If by mercy you mean sorrows, then yes. So it says, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Is a sorrow something that you want to have? Absolutely not. Absolutely. Which mercy is this one? All right, Psalm 36. Okay. Psalm 36.10. It says, Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Do you hear anything in there about the wicked? About those who don't even care one bit about serving God. No. It says, continue your loving kindness, your chesed, on those who what? Know you. On those who know you. And remember back in Proverbs 3, there was that command. Acknowledge Him. Know Him in all your ways. So continue your loving kindness, your chesed, on those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Upright means the same as wicked, right? Absolutely not. Those who are upright in heart. Underline that word continue. This is an interesting word. That word continue is the Hebrew word mashak. Mashak. M-A-S-H-A-K. Mashak. It's Hebrew word 4900, 4900. And the word mashak literally means to draw out or drag on. So the prayer is, Lord, drag on your loving kindness. Keep it going. Don't let it stop. Draw it out. 
on those who know you and keep your commandments. That word Meshach also appears somewhere else. Go to Exodus 19.13. And we'll see how it's used somewhere else. Exodus 19.13. It says, Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So what did, what did that trumpet do? When the Lord blew that trumpet, what did it do? Did it do like the trumpet when, when we blow it here and it goes... It got louder and louder and drug on and on and on and got more intense and more intense and more intense. That's the same word used back here in Psalm 36.10. Continue, drag it on, keep it going, your love and kindness. Which word is that? <clears throat> Are you talking about the word in Exodus 19? I think it's the word long. So in other words, what did, what did that sound do? Did it get quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter? What did it do? Got louder and louder and louder. It waxed louder and louder and louder. So it just kept going on and on and on to the point where the people were scared to death, right? So that's what the psalmist wants the Lord to do with his loving kindness, his mercy. Lord, keep it going. And get, stronger. get stronger and stronger. That's it. Don't you wish they would translate these words <laughs> without just watering them down? But there again, what does the scripture say to do? Study to show yourself approved. All right, Psalm 51. Margot said, when David messed up, he fessed up. Yep, that's it. That made him a man after God's own heart. Psalm 51. Prayer of repentance. This is the big sin that we saw David commit in the, in the Scriptures. Verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness." According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 1, the word mercy, have mercy upon me. That's the word chanun. The word loving kindness is chanan. Neither one are chesed. So mercy is chanun. Loving kindness is Hanan. And I think it's interesting here when he's praying, blot out my transgressions. That's a command form, but you can't command God. So we also call that imperative form. So it means it's kind of like a plea. Like, or please forgive me. 
of my sins. And it says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The word cleanse is taher, which is where we get the word tahor, like tame and tahor, clean and unclean. So in other words, make me clean. Make me clean. Psalm 59. Psalm 59.5 You therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. What does that sound like? When does the Lord awake to punish all the nations? Armageddon, absolutely. How do we know? We see, O Lord God of hosts, there's end times prophecy right there. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. In other words, we can also kind of look at that as those who practice what? Lawlessness. A wicked transgressor. A transgressor is one who practices lawlessness. So he's saying don't be merciful to anyone who practices lawlessness, lawlessness, iniquity, an open lifestyle of sin. Does that sound like Matthew 7? Away from me, you who practice what? Lawlessness. So this sort of says you're not really supposed to pray for mercy for those people who are willingly living in sin. Exactly. Do you remember there was a time when or the Lord told Jeremiah, don't even pray for them anymore. Like they've made up their mind. Now, that doesn't sound like that would be very gracious and very merciful. But is there a certain point that I believe that people get so wicked that, there's, that they will, just won't repent? I believe so. I believe so. Because... What's that? Exactly. And what are they doing? They're openly cursing him to his face. They're blaspheming him to his face. They know where the, the judgments are coming from, but yet they openly blaspheme him to his face. And Satan raises up a great army. Absolutely. So when you read in the scriptures about people being turned over to a debased or a reprobate mind, that's in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. It says that they were the Lord gave them over to a reprobate mind or a debased mind to do those things which are unfitting and then list all these things. Do you think those are people who just, just, you know, fell into some hard times, you know? No, these are people who have willingly crossed the line and the Lord said, there you go. Have it, it's yours. You won't like the end result, but here you go. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so I quoted the scripture one time that somebody in verse 6 said they growl like a dog. She literally growled at me. Really? <laughs> it really happens. Oh. You flared up her demon, didn't you? <laughs> That's what it was. 
Uh, I mean, all you can do is pray for people, but at the same time, you know, if you think about the prayer of David right here, it says, do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. If it's somebody who's openly, openly lawless, according to the scriptures, and have no intention of repenting, No, I know what you mean. Then what are they going to hear come judgment day? Is the Lord long-suffering with these people? Absolutely. But we know that people can also reach a certain point where I don't think that they'll ever make the turn back. That's why God is the judge, and that's why I'm not. I'm just giving you my my two cents, my opinion based on the scriptures. I don't want to be a judge. Thank you. No, no. That's why we come with him and watch what happens at Armageddon. We're just spectators. All right. Psalm 66. Psalm 66. Psalm 66, verses 16 through 20. It says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what He has done for my soul. I cried to Him with my mouth, and He was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. That word mercy is chesed. So does that sound an awful lot like Proverbs 28, 9? When he said in verse 18, if I regard iniquity, literally saw, it's from the word see. If I regard iniquity, if I see iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Twenty-eight nine. Let's go look at it. Proverbs twenty-eight nine. Proverbs twenty-eight nine says, "One who turns away his ear from hearing the law." Even his prayer is an abomination. So why back in Psalm 66, why was David or the psalmist, it doesn't say it was David, why was the psalmist so adamant that God has heard me? God has heard my prayer. He said it multiple times. God did not turn away from my prayer. Because what did he do? He did not have iniquity. He repented. So what if he would have said, eh, I don't care what God says. Lord, just forgive me anyway. He just wasted his breath. I will be who I will be. Yep, I will be who I will be. Absolutely. Psalm 86.5. This is where we'll stop for tonight. 86.5. 
Psalm 86, 5. It says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. What kind of phrase do you suppose call is? It's continuing. All those who are calling upon you. So it's a participle. And that phrase back in the first line, it says, You, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive. Literally says, and forgiving. Lord, you're good and forgiving. So does that mean that he just forgave one time and he ain't going to do it again? Or is it he forgives as long as you're calling upon him? I will be who I will be. We'll stop here for tonight. We'll pick up tomorrow, Lord willing, in Psalm 103, starting at verse 4. Actually, verse 3.